0: Welcome to The Practice Podcast, a show created by lawyers to help lawyers in life and business without all the complicated lawyer language. Let's welcome Bast Amron founders and your hosts,
1: Jeff Bast and Brett Amron. This is Brett Amron. Welcome to The Practice Podcast. And I am Jeff Bast. Welcome. Hello, Brett. Hello, Today
0: we are pleased and privileged to welcome a very special guest, Mr. David Duckenfield. Hello, David. Hello, Hi, hey, David. David is a president and partner at Balsera Communications. David has a fascinating background. He melds his background as a senior public affairs official in the Obama administration with his experience communicating complex policy issues to multicultural audiences. He handles crisis management and communications issues for national and international clients and he provides strategic counsel for client initiatives and businesses in deals that deal in diverse industries and non profit sectors. He's also a former diplomat, turned NBA executive. Early in his career, he helped launch NBA Latin America, where he successfully fused culture, language, sports, entertainment, and business. And now, as I indicated, he's a president and partner of Belserra Communications. So welcome,
2: David. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me here.
0: Yeah. And by the way, that was just a brief summary. I left out a lot from uh, from (laughs) David's bio. bio. We, we, We don't really have time to go through that whole diverse experience but we're happy to have you here David why don't you tell people just a little bit about what you do now you know what your role is at balsera what balsera does
2: and... thanks and I, I know that didn't sound very linear <laughs> what you describe but there's yeah, yeah. there's a through, throughput there you know, right now at balsera communications we're a public affairs firm we specialize in communicating public policy messages to diverse audiences so anywhere from engaging communities across the country, mostly in Florida, especially, on issues such as bonds that need to be put out by school boards or legislative initiatives that organizations are trying to push out there, we, you know, we help them communicate those positions to the audiences so that they can make decisions on how they want to move forward as a community. So that's kind of what we do mainly, but you know, we also just do public relations in general from anywhere from unions and other organizations to even to startups, as uh, Miami especially has been really getting hot in the startup scene.
1: So it's Public policy, dealing with public relations and media relations, right? And in today's world, right, we were talking about this, there's so much information out there, a lot of it perhaps misinformation. How do you get a client's message out? Are there some sort of tips and tricks of the trade, if you will, to get a client's message out so that it stands out above some of the clutter and the misinformation? How do you deal with
2: that? Yeah, there's a lot of noise out there these days, especially with social media. And, you know, sort of growing up in the industry, you know, before it was just print, radio, and TV. it was much simpler to reach these audiences and three, now, three channels and not three, three, three channels yeah. of control even no, yeah <laughs> and, and, and you got yeah, the the, bar, you got the bars at midnight right when TV shut off I just, right. I just dated myself there but <laughs> it's a lot more complex now you know, for better or for worse right so it makes it easier for people who don't have as many resources to get their message out because there are more channels to get their message out right you know you have, you have Facebook and you have Instagram and you have Twitter and you can have your own voice the sort of people who didn't have a voice before can have a voice but it also makes it much more cluttered for an organization particularly to sort of get their message out and from the arrows coming in you know from the other side or sure, the naysayers it makes it easier for them to sort of come at you if they don't agree with what you're saying so you know the the long and short of it is you just have to work smarter right so you have to have a coherent message but you have to make sure that it's it's going across several different platforms to traditional media with you know TV and print but then also across social media channels as well and video is, is like the new special thing
1: yeah. And if you're trying to convince certain segment of the population, right, of your client's message, and they wouldn't traditionally go to an outlet that your client would send information to, I mean, how do you deal with that? Right? Like they're not going let's say you want to send, you know, put out something on Twitter, but there's a group that you want to try to reach that doesn't traditionally use Twitter, mm-hmm. you know, so how would you deal with that or wouldn't listen necessarily to
2: your client? Yeah, that's uh, so. There are a couple of different ways to deal with that. I mean, you know, first of all, you have to decide what what your message is, and then what your audience is, and then once you decide what your audience is, you got to figure out where does your audience consume their content, right? And so you have to go where the fish are biting, right? Mm-hmm. So what's changed over the last 20 years especially is this sort of push versus sort of pull or sort of going specifically to different places because before you just put your message out there and everyone watched the same three channels everyone listened to the same news now people have silos right so they some people consume their content they only get it on facebook or instagram or you know whatsapp mm-hmm. even Right, versus just traditional news channel. So you have to figure out where they're getting their information, and get in front of them that way. And so if they're only getting it from Instagram, you got to be on Instagram. If they're only getting it, you know, through, through Twitter, you got you got right. to be there. Meet your market uh, where you they be, are. You have to meet right. your market where they are. You know, appointment TV is no longer right. So the thing before was like, okay, I got to be home for the seven o'clock news. You know, that's right. that people are getting their news at six in the morning and ten o'clock at night in bits of like five minutes here, two minutes there, and a different medium, right? And different medium. So. Right. The 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 key is just understanding your audience, knowing where they are, speaking to them in their language. And actually, a lot of times, just becoming part of the conversation, which is a whole other way of engaging, right? So before, it was like you assumed that your news was very important and that they wanted to read it, and that's why you put it out there in front of them. And now it's like, well, can we just become part of a conversation on a topic that is the same or similar and make sure that our message comes through as part of that conversation? Uh, And even commenting... Right on a post or liking or sharing a post can in fact be a message in and of itself. No, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. what I was getting to. Yeah, so you can see, you know, a like-minded organization or, or anyone talking about a subject that you're interested in or that you want to talk about. And yeah, then you jump in the conversation and say, you know, oh, that's very interesting. Or that you add to it, or, or you retweet it and then add a link to something that is more pertinent to what you're doing. So yeah, becoming that thought leader, especially on a platform like Twitter, right? So every platform has got its... It's different audiences, right? So mm-hmm. Twitter is like the place where you want to go to be the thought leader that everyone follows when you're mm-hmm. talking about a certain a subject matter expert, right? That's where you would go. Versus if you want to just go more visually captive, you might go to an Instagram,
0: right? And so, is if I'm hearing you right, public relations generally has has shifted so dramatically over the last I don't know, 10, 20 years. I assume there's also components to PR and. By that, I mean there's generally getting your message out, like advocacy, and then there's also dealing with you know, crises, reacting to situations. Mm-hmm. Is, are there different approaches for you guys as between the two, either dealing with the crises
2: rather than advocating a position? Well, I mean, they, in, in a weird way, they sort of go hand in hand, right? So the best... Defense is a good offense. So mm. if you have built up your brand consistently over time, and you have a good you know reputation out in the market, when the crisis hits, it's going to be much smoother sailing for you, right? Versus if you're already on sort of rocky seas, and then that tsunami comes to get you, it may be too late. It may be it may be too late. You may Sometimes, be saying a lot, of, yeah. um, a lot of a lot of metaphors here, but yeah. So the, and the crisis is just planning ahead of time for what the inevitable, I could say, in the sense that through the lifetime of any company, you're going to hit some kind of crisis, you know, big or small. So as long as you, you've planned ahead of time, you know how you're going to react, you know, who's going to be part of that sort of team that's going to think about it and decide what actions to take. You have a general game plan, then right. you're ahead of the curve. Right. It's, it's kind of like fire drills. You don't want to be doing a fire drill for the first time during a fire.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. when you say planning, that is, and li- you know, it's lining up the team
2: including someone like you before there's a crisis. Yeah, is make sure you have your internal team set. So if it's the CEO, you know, and maybe the head of comms, HR, marketing folks, all in the room who are going to make those, the CFO usually going to make those big decisions. And then outside counsel, you know, who who are your lawyers and your communications folks. And maybe have different ones lined up for depending on what the crisis is. You know, know, outside counsel usually specializes. So a lot of our audience is lawyers. And I think generally
0: lawyers tend to handle problems on their own, you know, deal with the media, answer questions, and are focused on how to handle a crisis in the way that, you know, they've done in the past. But when does a lawyer know that, or when should a lawyer bring in
2: someone like you? Probably every Immediately, guy. of course, <laughs> right? right? <laughs> <Before>. Now <laughs> and always, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think you know, going back to the, the theme of the changing landscape in the media world, mm-hmm. you know, m- maybe even 10, 20 years ago, a lawyer maybe could have handled it. Like, okay, I'll send out a press release, and and this is what we're going to say, and we'll have our talking points, and that's it. Now that doesn't quite work because you know, reputation management. Is a shifty thing. So if a crisis happens, there's just so many different ways for that news to get out there now that you can't really control, and you need an expert who can jump into those different lanes and start putting out those fires, or at least getting your point of view across as quickly as possible. So like if something happens and it pops up on Twitter, and the next thing you know, there's some videos flying around on Facebook, and then it get. I mean, you have to be able to get in front of all those, and that's something that you know most lawyers don't aren't experts in, whereas a crisis comes. is. And yeah. even even saying, like you were saying, even saying no comment. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, the classic no comment is not typically a good thing because what it does is... Unfortunately, and, and not deservedly, so it makes the other person think you're guilty. So the person who, who sees that says, "Oh, there must be something here." If they're not commenting, right? And going back to the beginning stages of any crisis, the first thing you do—that is that first statement—is huge. We call it the placeholder statement, right? So you get together, you decide what the crisis is, and you decide how you're going to respond to it, just so that people know that you're on top of it, you know what's going on, and you're dealing with it. Versus like, we have no comment that you know there's oil spilling all over the place. So, and then from there you can build out once you get more details of what's going on you've spoken to the lawyers and the lawyers have told you what you can you can't say that (laughs) might put you in jeopardy later down the line if it does go to litigation but you within that first hour or two you want to be out there with something other than no comment
1: i would imagine that given what we talked about earlier which is the the amount of information in the outlets and that has changed over obviously the last 20 years that it makes your job obviously much harder but there is a much narrower window to get out in front of things because things move and spread so quickly and you, know, you have to figure out where is it spreading, right? I mean, at some point you just say, we assume it's everywhere and so that we're just going to sort of come up with a plan assuming that it's everywhere, you
2: know, because how do you stop it? Yeah, that, that's the good old viral situation. <laughs> that's not good at all. A lot of times, you know, when, when something sort of goes viral, how do you pull that back? And the yeah. answer is, yeah, when the genie's out of the bottle, a lot of times it's, it's out of the bottle. One thing you can do is have a sort of team of surrogate spokespersons for you who, who are ready to jump in mm-hmm. if something like this happens, right? So, like, it's not just you. You also have people who can voice for you in different outlets. And you, you'll see that a lot, especially in government when a crisis hits. You know, all of a sudden on the airwaves, you know, they'll have this secretary this, or assistant that and, and they're all over the fan. They're fanning out and sort of trying to calm the waters right, all at once, right? So you can't just have one person, to your point. And the back end, you have a lot of people just churning through the social media channels. And trying to sort of make sure they're responding right, right in real time to what's going on, and then also pushing out the messages and the images that they think will, will explain the situation.
1: So that takes planning, as you talked about before, and being on out in front of it and saying if there is a crisis, who's our team, who are our surrogates, and right, where are we going to go, and how are we going to handle this?
2: Exactly. You know, and as you mentioned. It's a, the content beast out there, right? So, and this started with CNN, I guess, probably in the early 90s whenever Ted Turner sort of turned around that channel. Like, yep. one thing people don't think about, they th- I thought it was awesome. I was, I've always been a news junkie, which I guess is why I'm in the hmm. biz. But they had to fill those hours, right? Yep. <laughs> you know, they were going from like an hour a day. Couple hours a day to 24 hours a day. 24 hour news cycle. 24 hour news cycle, and you can't keep saying the same thing over and over. So you have to keep churning and finding new content, which is good and bad. You know, the good thing is from a professional communications professional standpoint, there's more room for you to get your message out there because they're just looking for stories. Right. Right. Uh, The bad thing is they're looking for stories, so they'll just any you know anything bad. Well, they'll just like double down on it and make a lot to do about nothing.
1: And it goes out on so many different, again, media. So it used to be, right, CNN, when CNN started, it was TV. And that's it. And then you had print, obviously. But from CNN's perspective, it's CNN. Now it's CNN.com. They have the app. They have all kinds of sub pages and Twitter and Instagram pages and things like that, that they shoot content out as well and yeah. not just on TV. Yep, yeah, they do. You know?
2: And they repurpose it, which is, you know, A we lot. always... Yeah tell our clients that repurposing content is critical, right? So it's not just that first bite of the apple, right? You've sent out a press release or Mm -hmm. you have a press conference or whatever. You just put some kind of news out there or you're part of a story. You just don't let it sit there. You just sort of take it and you start repurposing it. so if it's on this, you know, social media channel, you put it on another one and you you just sort of, you know, slice and dice. And and so it can, it has a, a shelf life. Of a few days versus just a, a you know one hit wonder.
1: Is this sustainable? I mean, I feel like I used to listen to news all the time, like you know, and watch it, and I, I just I can't handle it anymore because it's just so much information from so many sources. And so I'll take a small amount of time, read headlines, or read a couple articles, and things that are interesting to me. But I like removed myself from Twitter a number of years ago, and I just you know is this sustainable? Because it just seems to be growing exponentially. Do you see at some point there being a reckoning, or or no? We're just gonna you think we're continuing on this path?
2: Well, I think we're already overwhelmed as a society, as a world, with all of this information out there. So then I think your brain naturally just sort of shuts down and decides that it's only going to consume x percent of it or x type of it, right? So I don't care about sports, or it's all I care about. You know, I'm only going to focus on politics, or I'm not even going to touch politics. Mm-hmm. And then the, I'm only going to have these are my sources. I mean, so. The funny thing is, you know, we thought it was this amazing information age, and so much, and you, you can decide there's so much information out there. It's almost having the opposite effect of people just right. really getting narrow focused and being like, this is all like my little pea brain can handle, and that's it, right? And to that effect, I have this, you know, sort of theory that we're kind of going backwards towards like, you know, caveman times in terms of hieroglyphics, <laughs> right? Because now it's all about video, right? It's all, it's all about images and video. Right. So when's the last time we saw that? Well, you right. know, when, you, when people were in caves painting, like, yeah. the, and so now, it's like the words aren't even You're as right. powerful as actually the it's, emojis it's, are, it's, emojis, right. are right. 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 emojis are replacing words we use smiley faces and images right images yeah it's kind of weird where
1: we're going with this. Well, in the kids, right? I mean, what's the biggest app the kids use? It's Snapchat. Yep. Right, and Snapchat. so it's a picture, a random picture they take of themselves, mm-hmm. and then with like a
2: two-word or even sometimes a one-word message. Right. That's it. That's and they it. Do it. They do it all throughout the day. You write an Picture cryptic, picture cryptic and stuff, right, and then that's it. Yeah. yeah, it's not a whole lot of writing going on. And we think think to write letters. We're to heading each other. to the dark ages. Yeah. Right yeah. Now. No,
1: no like, and I oh, and man. I think that there's maybe it was on Snapchat or some other cont. I don't remember the medium, but there was I don't know if it was CNN or. Somebody was putting out really short bursts of news that I know my kids would watch in the morning, but super fast.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I couldn't keep up with it. It was that oh, fast. God, right. And <laughs> right. so, you know, I, it, again, different media, but getting the content out to the different age groups mm-hmm. and the different audiences, you know. The, sh- and,
2: the shrinking attention span.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is now there's more information and
0: less attention span. And so what ends up happening is either, like you were saying, people start checking out, and so all they see are headlines. So Mm -hmm. you just have a few
2: words or images to Mm -hmm. convey a message now. Mm -hmm. It's a recipe for disaster. And I think that, as often happens, the technology has gotten ahead of society and the law, to be honest, right? So you're seeing that playing out big time, you know, with all of what's going on with Facebook. And been, now the Congress is finally looking at it. There are not enough laws, not the right types of laws out there to regulate what's going on. What yep. kind of content should be out there, can't be out there, the influence are having. So it, they're playing catch up, right? Mm-hmm. And then I think as a society and just the way we sort of organize ourselves, we're playing catch up to the fact that there's all this information out there. And, we, and we're not being taught in school of how to sort of decipher between it or what's yeah. good or bad. And like the, so we're just, we're, going at it with no foundation or, or no framework. And hopefully on both of those levels, right, societally and as a matter of law, yeah. we'll catch up to, you know, where technology is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I was hearing some crazy things about Facebook. I'm sure you're more in tune than, than I am, but I, I was hearing some crazy things about how, you know, they would push to people what your close contacts were saying about topics as opposed to getting it from the, you know, a news source. Mm-hmm. And so that would perpetuate misinformation or I agree with you, there's got to be some accountability and some legislation's got to catch up to it. But I mean, how do we rein this in? Like you said, is it society all of a sudden just says, okay, we're, we're done. Like, is it a market thing or is it a, you know, is it a legislative thing? No, I think it's point? a government
2: thing. I mean, I think it's like sort of Standard Oil back in whenever, in the early mm-hmm. 1900s, um, mm-hmm. where they just had to come in and say, okay, you guys cannot have this huge vertically integrated company that just owns everything. We start to break, we have to break you up. And I think that's the role of government when they have to come in and mm-hmm. say, okay, we have to put some kind of rules around this, right? And, you know, it's a free market, but you can't do it to the detriment of society, right? And to your point, what you're talking about is like what Facebook and other companies have figured out is like negative news or information drives more engagement so right. mm-hmm. the picture of little johnny it's great but like if you piss somebody off or your friend off then they're more they want to learn more and more and more and so back in the day when facebook started you had a chronological list of sort of postings of your friends that's no longer you're getting okay. fed content of you know for your friends and what's going to sort of drive you to stay on the site right. longer yeah. which they know is controversial issues right and so you know how do you sort of change that or regulate that so people aren't going down these rabbit holes which are not filled with misinformation and societal ails I feel like yeah. we're living in a movie right like there's this <laughs>
1: quote unquote evil person high up in a building sitting at a big table you know in their office going how can we get this message you know and sort of dictating what society thinks or how society thinks on various issues. It seems well, not like we're there, it's right? Kinda, we are, except, <laughs>
2: except that it's not a person. It's AI, right? So right. It's, it's, not, it's, a, it's artificial intelligence telling us what we like, what we want to hear, what we want to listen to, what we want to read, right? So, And it's highly intuitive, but it's not you, per se, right? And so, again, it's that sort of Tricky slope, right? Because although we do have individual thought, if you think about it, there most people sort of have the same general thoughts. Mm-hmm. So, in that sense of connecting those general thoughts, it's wonderful, right? And bringing like-minded groups together from across the globe—that's amazing. Who never would have found each other, right? The other side of that is it bringing like-minded groups together of people who aren't so nice or, or aren't thinking that their thoughts aren't so great, or it doesn't give you that avenue to sort of wander. Into a space that you wouldn't have gone into, or, or thought process. Right, the that you public gone square. To. Yeah, right. exactly. So, well, and it's
1: very easy yeah. for people. You know, we used to call it in college, right? Like beer muscles, right? When you, <laughs> you know, and now it's you're behind a screen, and so you have a different name, and so you'll say. Some people yeah. will say anything yes. and push it out on social media because there's no repercussion. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, the human connection is so important. I'm going to shift the topic a little
0: bit because, you know, I think this rabbit hole we might never get out of. uh, Unfortunately, I don't think we'll solve it on this episode, but you deal with David. Crises, and I imagine you get phone calls all the time when the company is on proverbial fire. Uh, Hopefully, they're not on literal fire. How do you keep your cool? Because that's your really your job, is right to keep everybody's cool and convey a consistent. You know, craft a message and then convey a consistent message. I mean, how do you attribute? Where's your cool factor come from?
2: Uh, I think you have to have that disposition. To be honest, (laughs) you do what you do to, to do this, and you touched on something that's very important. There's a psychological factor to this that no one ever sort of talks about. So everybody talks about, okay, you have to be planning, you have to be ahead of it, you have to know what you're going to do, put your team together, get their message out. There's a huge psychological factor when you're dealing with people who sometimes is an existential crisis, right, for their company at least, or Mm -hmm. for their livelihood. And, you know, that there's a lot of endorphins flying around and adrenaline, and which doesn't make you... You know, think clearly as the person in the crisis, or the group in the crisis. So, as an outside counsel, you have to come in and sort of be the voice of right. reason. You have to work, you have to figure out who the different actors are, what their different pain points are, or, or what their sort of psychological profile is. To be, I mean, really honest, and figure out how you can work through that to get to the best outcome. So, there's an art and science. I mean, in life, I mean, it's all about art and science. So, the art piece of this is psychologically how do you work people through it, and then how do you come up with an artful message. To get through it, and then the science piece—it's just the mechanics of it, right? So, how you know what outlets we're going to do, what kind of interviews you're going to do, what exactly? So, there's there's a mechanical piece to it, but you have to have both to be successful.
1: That is very similar to what we do. I mean, yeah. you know, as you were saying, it's very similar to lawyers, right? We come in to take the emotion out of it because we weren't directly involved, right? Mm-hmm. Like, just like you you get brought into, let's say a crisis situation, you're being brought in as the professional, you're not directly involved in the crisis situation. It's the company or an individual at a particular company or a public entity, if whatever your client is, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we're brought in that situation too and our job is to take the emotion away and make strategic, well-thought-out decisions and to give advice to our client to make those decisions and pull the emotion out of it, right? Yeah, the
0: difference is we have a more, I think, narrow focus, you know, because typically if it's a litigation matter, we're focused on, okay, there's this lawsuit and our message is being conveyed to either a judge or a jury or the other side or some combination of that, whereas, you know, your approach is, you know, and that's where I think most lawyers really need a PR Person, someone with your expertise, and may not know it because we have a specific agenda, and yours is very different. You know, mm-hmm. we're convincing a judge or a jury. You're convincing basically everybody in the, in the,
1: well, the world. Court of public opinion, yeah, right, so we say. Yeah. 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 And sometimes that's, that's where
2: cases or decisions yeah, or you trials, right? Yeah, yeah and, and to that in the public affairs world, that is one of the tools we use, right? So if you are working on an issue for a company that you know they're trying to get through or maybe even a referendum that needs to be passed, you not only talk to, a lot of people think you just talk to the individuals, right? you talk to the lawyer, you talk to the judge, or you talk to the elected officials who are going to make a decision on that resolution, right? But that's one that's lobbying. Right, in, in some right. sense, whether well, it's being a lawyer or on lobbying, or, or sort of both. But there's a whole other aspect to it, which is the public affairs aspect. So what is the community saying about it? What are the pressure points coming from? So if you win in the court of public opinion, if you have people in the community who are saying, this is what I want, this is how I feel, You elected official or, you know, judges, you can't sway that way. But then they're they're human beings. They live in the same community. They Mm -hmm. sort of feel the pressure, the way the tide's going, public opinion. You know, that can sway a decision, especially with elected officials, can sway a decision. If they know that their community is, you know, 70 percent behind X thing, then they're thinking they'll think twice about, you know, trying to go against that. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, the importance of having someone with your expertise
0: involved, you know, can't be understated because hopefully the person we're trying to convince is confined in some way by, you know, the law. So, you know, we're convincing a judge that judge doesn't make a decision based on whatever they want. They make a decision, hopefully, within the confines of the law. Whereas what you're doing is really no, there's no guardrails at all whatsoever. And so, and there's a lot of misinformation out
2: there. You know, I think it just makes it much more challenging what you do. No, you're, you're, you're latching onto emotions and sort of, and driving that with, with reason, right? So Mm. it it, is, you know, you, you hit that emotional touch point, but then you also have a reasonable argument. That goes along with it. That convinces them. And again, it's not just you. It's like you have your thought leaders and your you know surrogates and community leaders who right. are actually the voices for you. Because if they don't know you, they're not going to trust you. People trust people they know. So you have to right. find people who are going to speak for About you. Now in the I'm not sure who anyone trusts <laughs> <No>. anymore. <It's laughs> but with
1: but <laughs> that list there. is shrinking every yeah, day. Yeah. That's, that's but, that, but in litigation, you may also be trying to get your. Adversary, the party on the other side, to do something, and so a great PR campaign may help with that, right? You may not be able to convince a judge if you go to court, right? And the judge may not be swayed by public opinion, but your opponent might, depending on the case, right? So a good PR campaign may be helpful in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, lawyers call David Duckenfield now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I really, I mean, we're we're joking, but I I really think that you know lawyers don't know how to use or know when to use a PR
2: agency. And I would submit that PR experts are underutilized by lawyers. There's some people who, who can strike that really good balance. You know, my old boss, David Stern, who was the commissioner of the NBA mm-hmm. for 30 years, was a lawyer by training. NYU grad, NYU and, law grad. NYU law That's grad, right. yeah. <laughs> and was probably one of the most brilliant PR persons I've ever met. I mean he really understood the art of storytelling and packaging what was the NBA as this amazing global it was more than a sport right it was a like lifestyle. sort of it was a lifestyle yeah and he really got that so you know so lawyers can you know have have it both ways but yeah and but he also built up a good PR team which I was proud to be a piece of for for a bit fantastic yeah. so I mean, we could go all day on
1: some of these topics. Unfortunately, we only have David for a limited period of time. I mean, we went down the rabbit hole, of misinformation and the the amount of information and crises and planning and all that stuff. I mean, I just, I guess maybe to close out, you have, which we didn't talk about, a a military background. You know, you served in the Obama administration. Obviously, you had your time at the NBA as well. Is there anything you can sort of point to or some of the things you can point to in your diverse experience and background that sort of led you to today with you have such a calming presence, right? And I'm sure that clients love having you in a room when there's crises, not that you're there because they're going through the crises, but because you're so calming and just really get to the heart of it. I mean, you know what? If you can help us sort of understand some of that stuff, it would be so it would be great. I'm sure our listeners would really want to know that.
2: You know, the things you it's like things you pick up along the way, right? So in the army, you know, when I'm starting off in ROTC, then going into as a as a military police officer in the DC National Guard, you know, you learn a lot about discipline and perseverance mm-hmm. and being organized. And we, they, we always described or my commanders used to always describe war as organized chaos. Like it's mm-hmm. chaos, but it's organized. And mm-hmm. there's you know, it, and that organization, even when there's chaos around you, pulls you back and makes you think very clearly when you know the bullets are <laughs> flying. So that piece, and then on the PR side, as a diplomat, I actually started off as a public affairs officer at the U.S. Embassy in Mexico, and then in Colombia, and so that's when I learned sort of my PR skills, and I learned it in, a, funnily enough, in a different language. So how to communicate <laughs> in a different language and to to a public, right? So you know, we were telling America's story to the world, right? That was the job at the embassy. So we were like, this is a brand USA, and this is what we stand about. And we would sort of go around the officials in those countries, right? We weren't speaking to the president of the country. We weren't speaking to the Congress in that country. We were speaking to the people of that country Hmm. through different tools, right? The Voice of America, this thing called WorldNet, which is essentially like BBC, and just different programming. We'd bring artists down, went to Marcellus, took them down to Columbia one time. So talking about our culture, what we stood for, democracy, our history, speaking to the public so that, again, back to when a crisis might hit, when somebody might say, something bad about the United States, they had a really good feeling for who the United States was and Mm -hmm. what it stood for. And obviously, you know, Hollywood helps out a lot with that most of the time (laughs) with with that. And so that's translated into the, you know, the rest of my career, I mean, jumping into private sector with the National Basketball Association, you know, sort of telling that story of a lifestyle versus just a sport and then working for Yahoo, which was a tech company. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, now owning my own firm. And I think at the end of the day, we're storytellers. And that's what we're doing. You know, we sort of have to people digest stories really well, right? You know, not everybody's a great history major or give them facts and dates. They don't get that. But you tell them a good story, mm-hmm. they'll remember that good story. So whatever mm-hmm. you're doing, you have to make sure you package it in, in a way that's a, a good story that people will want to hear and, and then want to repeat and, and tell tell their friends and family about
1: That's awesome. Oh, wow.
0: Yeah, can we have you back, David? That's uh, I feel like that last answer <laughs> that right there. Fantastic. I have 30 other questions I, I could ask <laughs> I mean, you, but an I know we're is, right a, is
1: really a uh, PR arm of the yeah. of the U.S. Like I, I didn't even I don't think I a lot, lot of people think of no. an
0: ambassador in that manner right. that they're really you know selling the United States. They're, the they're image ambassadors, really. They're selling the image of who we are. Brand USA. Yeah, Brand USA.
1: That's awesome. Good stuff.
0: David, thank you so much for having us. Uh, I mean, for allowing us to have you on the the podcast. I feel like I was your guest. If you have any other questions you want to hear from David or any other podcast guests, please let us know. And if you like this podcast, please like us, give us a review, hopefully five stars, follow us and (laughs) share the show with your friends and neighbors. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.
1: Thanks, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you, Nelson. Thank you
0: both. It was great. Thanks, Nelson. For more information on this show and other resources, visit FastAmron.com and connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram
2: at FastAmron.